heard that Melbourne is the most locked down city in the world and um, it's not been easy but today we're zooming in on the silver lining that comes with overcoming the toughest challenges. We're celebrating the resilience of community and the individuals who live and work in the community. It's been a tough time for community for the leaders, the elders and the mentors but I think there's something uh, comforting in that because it reminds us that we're not in it alone. To know that even the people we look up to have faced big challenges. Um, not everyone is 100% strong 100% of the time and that is okay. That is what resilience is all about. So I'll be talking to a group of speakers who live and work in our community about their own stories during the pandemic and learning about how they recovered after a tough time and how they are helping other people to come back stronger and more resilient than before. This is a podcast about serving the community and living in community during this once in a generation pandemic. Let's do it. Hello, my name is Quinn Taylor. Uh, my role is a community wellbeing officer at the City of Yarra Council. Uh, I help with the digital literacy and the food relief. Hello, my name is Marianne Mohammed. I work with North Richmond Community Centre. My role is mental health concierge. Hello, my name is Faiza. I'm one of the nurses working for high-risk high accommodation response team in at North, North Richmond Community Health Centre. So my role basically was um, just reaching out community to come get vaccinated, especially my community, because they were very hes hesitant. Hi, I'm Connor Sibley. I'm a community development worker working for Belgium Avenue Neighbourhood House. I'm working on the North Richmond Community Capacity Building Initiative. I was also lucky enough to work um, one day a week with the wonderful Hurrah team. So Brendan and Laura invited Sally and I to be part of the team, and that, it was great to be a part of that kind of first response. Hi, everyone. My name is Richard, and I work as a mental health project coordinator for the public for the public housing estate. So we support residents in North Richmond, Fitzroy and Collingwood. Can you describe for us a difficult uh, situation you were in during lockdown and how you managed to pull yourself out of it? So during the whole lockdown experience, uh, I was in the same situation with being unemployed and that took a toll on my mental health, uh, having to be stuck at inside and experiencing the many different levels of the uh, lockdown procedures that we had to go through <laughs> as a state. I really took on the mentality that I was imprisoned, but it was at my own home. Uh, so I had to, you know, work towards myself to get out of that hole that I was in and that's when I started to reach out for services within the community or what was out there to try and save myself uh, from being stuck in this mental hole that I was in. Yeah lockdown was not easy um, it played with our emotions a lot um, especially you know being stuck at home you know homeschooling the kids 
Um, this, um, I used to work in, I, I was an aged care nurse before I got, I worked in North Richmond, mm-hmm. um, gave up my aged care work because I was scared my kids or I would catch COVID and die from it. Mm-hmm. So I quit my job, um, just for, for the safety of my mm-hmm. family and for my kids, you know. Um, and it was very hard just being stuck at home. Just, yeah, it was very, it was very hard time. Um, especially living like in the high rises where you'd got no fresh air, just basically you're locked up. Um, no, like you got, you can't go out to just have fresh air. Obviously it's a high rise. Um, like sharing, like, um, you'll get scared you'll catch COVID because you're sharing lifts and laundries and all of that. Um, got helped. I didn't take no medications for it, but just, you know, meditation and just going for walks. Um, just helped me reading um yeah just taking it easy you know yeah um for me i think um what i thought really interesting about covid was that everyone was impacted in some way and i think um i quite often minimize my experience because i think living with pe- uh, working with people that live in public housing i quite often minimize my experience and said it's okay i've you know i've got this but i, I think that everyone experienced something differently and i think that it was really like a roller coaster throughout the whole time. And I think people, everyone had unique experiences. And I think for me, I, I felt lucky that I had a full-time job, but I was also studying and I really struggled, I guess, mm-hmm. in terms of having a, a lot to do, but then also, um, yeah, losing a big part of who you think you were. Because I think in, during the lockdown, we lose our connections with our friends and our family. So it's, we're constantly thinking about who we are now. I think that was really interesting. So I, I, I started connecting with things um, in terms of creativity and like learning how to play the piano. And I, everyone experienced different things, but I think it really exacerbated some of those kind of disparities within our culture or with you know so I think people living in public housing experience things a lot harder in terms of being locked down in in really small units and overcrowded conditions and I I felt guilt about that because I didn't have that same experience but I was working with people that were experiencing that and felt powerless to kind of shift or help people that were experiencing that so I think it was quite a a unique um, experience and I think the last lockdown for me was probably the hardest um because it's just never ending i don't know when will we get out of this but i couldn't cope with the curfews so usually like i like to do my stuff you know in the evening or like going to the gym you know i was going to the gym quite often like three times a week and then when the gyms were closed like i really struggled to stay you know like fit and do physical exercise like i went on walks and stuff but after that i just lost the motivation for it yeah yeah, so yeah, I think what I did wasn't a good habit, but at the same time I found myself staying up till like 3, 4 a.m. in the morning just watching Netflix and eating popcorn. So, and yeah, it wasn't, yeah, I don't know why. I just struggled really, you know, with lockdown. And I didn't think it would impact me that much, but because I thought uh, this whole pandemic is going to end within six months or one year. But then when it just kept dragging on, I just, yeah, couldn't really cope. I was driving everywhere in Melbourne, reaching out the community. I was in, like, working community aged care. So home, going home to home, helping elders. 
And I felt in myself like, you know, that time I have to do something instead of thinking only myself, think about others who are not able to go out, who is like don't have the power that I got. And I was like filtered, it's my time to help people. And I was like doing five days, five to five. And that helps me like, you know, to reduce my stigma and feeling like, you know, powerful to help people. It was hard not able to see my friends and, you know, in Australia, it was not allowed visiting because I live in high rises, all that impacting, but I was putting others in front, not myself, and that helped me. And I know if I do that, it helped me be, it helped me a lot. Yeah, it helps you back. Okay. I know whatever you pay, it comes back to you. Yeah. So it's kind that of was like, before. you know, yeah. compassion, basically. Yeah. You know, and some people find joy in compassion. Uh, Connor and mm. Quinn. You both worked with um, uh, culturally and linguistically diverse communities, particularly older generations, um, to enable them to become fully-fledged smartphone users, um, laptop users, um, that kind of technology. How, why is it important that this particular group get upskilled in this area, particularly during the lockdowns? Yeah, I, I find that with the older generation, in terms of my experience, that lack of understanding of digital literacy and the digital knowledge on the smartphones they hold in their hands, most of, you know, your shopping nowadays or if you are relying on, you know, um, on the government in a sense and now uh, acting towards most uh, services being online. And so not having that access really limits you into how you can progress. Why it's important for the older generation to have that knowledge is so that it doesn't put families in positions where not only do you feel isolated, but it puts a lot of burden on the family members themselves in terms of the younger generation to having to keep up or to teach their parents. So having that ability to communicate online and having that knowledge is key to, you know, having that stability with family. And that's something that I've been wanting to um, progress. Yeah, I think um, with COVID, another really interesting thing was that everything shifted online. But I think it was another, we um, really left a lot of people behind in that process, because I think with, with people we're working with um, and that live on the housing estate, a high proportion of older Vietnamese and Chinese communities that don't have smartphones or don't have the internet. So I think digital inclusion was really, really exacerbated, I think, th throughout COVID. And that's something that I was really conscious of in the work that I was doing. I was on a lot of reference groups and advocating to the minister's office and all types of things, really trying to get um, Wi-Fi on the, like free Wi-Fi on the agenda, which is, which has been a really long and political process and may never happen. But I think some of the really good outcomes of this were the partnerships that formed. So Yarra, Yarra Libraries and Cranbush Adult Education, we work really closely with them to kind of try and um, develop programs and get access to digital devices and dongles. And so it was, it was a nightmare, actually, and it was it was one of those systemic 
processes that would just, you're banging your head against the wall because it's like how how do we get people access to devices? How do you teach them how to use them when they're in lockdown and they they have to speak another language? Like I think there's so many barriers and obstacles to digital inclusion, and I th um, yeah I think we, I think the organisations. And, and a lot of the community members that we worked with were just so resilient and incredible to, to be able to deliver these projects. And it was, um, and I think just being able to see the change within one person was really exciting as well, because I think we saw people, you know, taking, even taking photos of QR codes, thinking that they'd checked into a, <laughs> to a, a business or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think it's just the little things like that, teaching people how, you know, but yeah, I think it's, yeah, I don't know what else to say, but yeah, yeah I, I think it's really important because I think in terms of access to health information and those types of things and keeping social connections is really important. And I think that creative arts is what got us through. A lot of people that had access to technology was creative arts was what actually got us through. So it was Netflix, it was music, it was whatever. So I think that it, that investment in creative arts is really important because it's, it, it gave us a lot of mental health support. So I have a very fond success story in regards to digital literacy. I, in terms of the functionality of how internet dongle works and the process behind even setting one up, <laughs> it was even confusing for us and we're pretty, you know, literate with the, you know, digital literacy. So, and I just remember this one situation where they were a family, I think it was a grandmother and their either granddaughter or was in, they didn't have internet at home and the child was you know going through school was doing online schooling and she didn't have internet so I went out of my way to you know get this plan going for the internet have it set up for the household visiting that uh, the household itself and introducing myself which was quite you know <laughs> rattling in a sense uh, but yeah, after getting it all set up, having it, writing instructions down, like <laughs> word for word, so they could follow the exact instructions, how to connect to the internet and how to disconnect. Cause it, at the same time, wasn't unlimited. And I think that was probably one of my biggest accomplishments in terms of serving the community, but also sharing that knowledge of my digital literacy skills uh i might just add that uh, i think i know the family that quinn's talking about and i happened to see the grandmother on a on a zoom call and that made me really excited that she was able to get on the zoom call and, and um and was able to communicate with everyone and it was a vietnamese woman and it was a focus group that we were running um and she was able to communicate with with um an interpreter so i think yeah it was really lovely to see that that that, that was that next step of of engagement online so and the, uh, so uh, you live and work in the community how resilient is our community in wanting to keep safe during the pandemic and do you face any challenges in your work and how do you overcome them? Yeah, how resilient. I think the community has been very resilient. Um, they've kept up, especially, you know, seeing what happened in Flemington. They were very, they were scared. Same situation would happen and mm. they would get locked up and get no freedom, which was not fair, whatever happened in F Flemington. High rises. I think they were very, they were very scared. Um, but what we did was we made sure that that's, that's not going to be the case. 
um, yeah, which was you know very interesting and yeah, um, yeah, I've we've I've challenged I've had a couple of challenges in um, working with Hara, you know, especially people not speak not English being their first language or, you know, and I've overcome that with you know because our team we've got like most of our team speak other another language, um, so just by the team helping me to you know if I needed help they would just come and translate or yeah just as a general question what we have of course a very diverse community what do you think was going on for them um during those six lockdowns was it six yeah (laughs) something like that (laughs) emotionally I think yeah emotions were high you know people didn't know what to do especially you know like you know because COVID had so many rules, obviously, you know, the government was coming up with curfews. P- people didn't know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, that some of them will go out and get a fine. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, you were not allowed to travel more than 5K in some cases. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, for um, uh, my background being a Somali Muslim, there's not a lot of halal butchers around. Yeah. So that closest one would be like Fusgray, Sydney Road. And, you know, if obviously if you go more than your 5K, you'll get a fine, most likely. And, mm. you know, it was very challenging for them. You know, it was very hard. But, um, yeah, I think, yeah, that we've overcome. They're, they're very, like, very resilient and, yeah, good mm. community. Yeah, I think one of the challenges, a lot of the African community, like, were very hesitant to the vaccine. Because, mm. you know, there's, like, a lot of conspiracy theories that were going on. Mm. And at times when we were out there doing outreach, they were thinking maybe we were going to, like, you know, some of them thought that maybe we're going to be forceful or like aggressive without telling them you do need to get the vaccine. I'm like, no, we're here just to give you information and like uh, take your time until you feel confident that you want to take it. But I think during the second lockdown, I've seen, you know, a few African, you know, elders booking their vaccination and coming here. I particularly helped them. Um, all the South Sudanese lady come and get her vaccination on, like, just helped her with language. Yeah, but and it was just really, you know, for me, like an exciting moment to see the shift. Yeah, from like, oh, we don't need this vaccine that the government is telling us to get to, you know, okay, you know, maybe this is the only way out, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, during lockdown, I guess when it first started, we were, we were kind of like, what do we do? Because I think we're, we're all confined to our houses, but through the neighbourhood houses, we were allowed to provide food relief under the regulations. So we started doing weekly food relief. Mm. And we wanted to try and deliver that with dignity, I think. So it wasn't just food relief. It was we tried to create a bit of a market where people would come to us and they'd have selection of what what they could get. So we had a food pantry and we had bulk items like rice and really tried to make sure that it was culturally appropriate. So we... Each week we were asking people you know, what they wanted and fresh produce was a key thing. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was quite interesting with the, some of the different communities, like Achut was saying, uh, we we struggled to engage with some of the African mm-hmm. communities. So we um, we were lucky enough to have Fatuma on our team, who's a Somali woman mm-hmm. who... who started doing um, deliveries to some of the African families and trying to engage with them through that way. So I think there was, it was quite an interesting way to engage with the community when everyone was in lockdown was through food and we did an international cooking program where we shared recipes and cooked mm. together. So I think, I, it was, yeah, yeah. I think it was a nice way to yeah. kind of keep in contact and through sharing recipes and 
cultures. Okay, we're out and about in community and we're asking people what they think resilience means to them and how they've been handling the lockdowns over the past couple of years. Hello everyone that's listening to this podcast. Uh, my name is Fu and I'm a resident of um, the uh, uh, Commission Flats in Richmond. Personally, I was in one of the lockdown building, the 139 building, and I couldn't go outside for an entire day staying inside. like. The, the scene was quite shocking at first, but like myself and the other members of the community trusted the government, we trusted the professionals. So we all got tested and we all got the vaccine when it was necessary. And um, together we're helping Victoria come back to what it used to be, like a non-lockdown world, non-COVID, reduced COVID world. And um, yeah, I'm very happy about these statistics and very happy regarding my community and what we've achieved. Okay, we're back in the studio with our guests and I, I'm curious to ask, do you have any stories about your programs um, and about how they're helping people to come back stronger uh, after the lockdowns? Are there any um, success stories you can tell us about? Yeah, like especially Hara, like we've, we've I think, I think this morning I was this from Brendan, we're winning, we've been nominated for some award or something. Um, which is exciting. I can't remember the name of that one. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, apparently we became five, the f- fifth finalist or something. Um, yeah, we've done a lot for the community, especially, you know, the, during lockdown. And so we'd, we would do like checking calls. If they don't answer, we'll go door knock their house, make, make sure they're all right. We've had some people that, a couple of people that we had to call ambulance for, obviously. Um, you know, they, they were, they were like not okay or they were on the floor. Yeah, yesterday I was vaccinating this old lady that came all the way from Geelong and then she she was like, oh, everyone in this community is f- fully vaccinated. And I was like, yeah, I'm one of them. I'm one of the nurses that was helping, you know. Everyone's like, oh, well done, you know. She was getting her booster, you know. So everyone knows about us now. We're famous. <laughs> and I felt we felt that like a rich man people so helpful in Hiroshima. We had masks around, hand sanitizer, information about, you know, COVID vaccination. And we really happy to get a vaccination on time. And we never missed any information we needed. And they was around, like, up and down everywhere and helping the community. And we're really happy that we have you in Richmond compared to other, you know, places where it's lack information, lack of hand sanitizer, lack of mask. So we're so helpful in Richmond, having in our team. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I'd probably just like to add that I think um, some of the partnerships and connections that have been established through through COVID, I think, because a lot of the local services really banded together to kind of try and um, deliver services and kind of advocate for different 
strategies, I guess. But yeah, I think that the connections that were made through community and, and the great work that Hurrah did, and I think, yeah, just some of the partnerships that were really incredible. Like now North of Richmond Community Health and Barn have got really good partnership alongside, yeah, other, other organisations and Yarra Libraries and Cultivating Community. Like there's just so many amazing organisations that are operating within the estate and I think that's a real credit to everyone. So in light of the discussion we're having around COVID-19 and the, the big impact it's had on the way people feel, I just want to ask a question about mental health. With um, culturally and linguistically diverse communities, what do you think they hear when they hear the word mental health and are there any misconceptions? Yeah, actually, you know, I, when I saw the question, I was actually, you know, I got excited because at the moment we're serving in communities like in like other three states. And we have that question actually in our survey, like, what do you think when you hear the word mental health? And we got like mixed, uh, you know, answers where some people say they hear like sadness, loneliness, you know, and depression. Some people think, you know. It's just stigma. They, you know, whenever they hear mental health, they just think of stigma, and some people think of a crazy person. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's a lot of you know people who come in Australia recently and they experience trauma and a lot of you know unpeaceful situation where they come from coming here. They don't know what it is and. They just thinking someone naked and running in the street. If you say what is mental illness, yeah, they don't know anything else rather than that. Mm. So you have to be naked if you are having yeah. mental illness and running in the street, yeah. and you don't know what is good or bad. Mm. So you just whatever comes in front of you, you put into your mouth. Mm. No matter what it is, that's what they think in number one, and some other people run away if you mention. Yeah. If you mm. mention that name, they run away. They're not talking to you even. Mm. So they just afford you to answer. Mm. And some people will think about, like I was doing yesterday, and they think in taking tablet is number one. Yeah. Mm. That's the only solution they think in. If you ask them, they say, yeah, taking tablet is about mm. depression or mental illness. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's really a hard topic, and people will scare more and lack of trust. Lack of, you know, information mm. and people will need more, you know, confidence to talk about and know what it is, what level is it is. And the only scary they thinking if you say I have a mental illness, you get treated in hospital and worried on medication mm. and there is no other solution. Yeah. And I also just wanted to mention, like, you know, there's always... Like mental health and mental illness are completely different, mm -hmm. you know. And so sometimes people think, you know, when you're saying mental health, they think you're saying mental illness. Mm. So mental health is just the general well-being of the mind. And mental illness means that you have an existing, you know, condition or something like that. Yeah, and I just found it interesting. I remember when Marianne was saying like the, you know, what mental health means to you, like naked person in the street walking. This is actually a direct quote <laughs> from a woman who were doing outreach yeah. in Collingwood Neighborhood House. It's actually a direct quote from a woman who told us this, mm. you know. It's really sad, you know. Yeah. There's no other way they know. And mm. we, li we like to, you know... Pass information around and help as much we're able to do. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and release this stigma. And, you know, it is not like no one forcing you. If you say, I have mental illness, no one forces you to do something you don't like to do it. Mm. And there is so many ways you will able to manage in your situation. And there is help around if you need it, you know, no one force you. I will say that. Yeah, I'd like to hear what other people think as well here. Yeah, people are scared to come forward because they think they'll be, you know, they'll lose their job or, you mm. know, being like stigmatized or, you know, people see them as that crazy person, mm. um, especially in the African community, you know, like, for example, if a mother's got a son with mental health, you know, people say, oh, she's got a crazy child, mm. which is not the case, you know, it's, yeah, it's very, I think it's to do with a lot with the culture. What is resilience as a trait in in a mental health profession? Uh, how do you um, describe it in the people that you see? Yeah, I want to start by actually saying our oh, resilient in psychology is not seen as a trait. It's actually a life skill. Mm. Like, yeah. so it's something that you can develop, you know, and over time, like with our role modeling, like, for example, children who see their parents, how they cope with, uh, you know, life stresses mm-hmm. and something like that. They end up, you know, if they don't get enough emotional support from a young age and just be allowed to express their emotion, then they'll they'll find it hard to cope in, in later life. So it's just, you know, resilient is how well you cope with life stresses and trauma mm-hmm. and just things that happened in your in happen in your life, like how can you make it, you know, and overcome like these challenges Mm -hmm. not saying that you should not feel like oh complete like going to like a dark hole or something like that you know you'd feel all of that but it's just how you're going to overcome this and not feel like stuck Mm. yeah so I think you know like the advice I'd give for people to you know to just have good connections around you you know, practice like healthy thinking, like, and it's healthy thinking, it can actually, you know, it can be developed. Like I grew up, you know, in a, in a way, like with very negative parents and, you know, always like, yes, the negative talk was the one that's uh, like I grew up with. So when I was an adult, I was mostly just negative talking to myself. And then after seeing a counselor and things like that, you know, I remember I woke up one morning and I just realized that I'm not thinking so negatively. So it's just something that you can't develop, like, the patterns in the way you think, like, just healthy thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, and just, you know, connections, like, really good connections, and just to to develop your resilience. So it's not, you know, something that one person is born with and the other is not. It's, It's a life skill that you can, you know, improve and develop. I like that as a correction. It's not something inherent. Like yeah. It's something you have. It's some. It's like a skill that you gets better and better yeah. the more you you use mm. use that skill. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I, I think that's lovely. I, think, I remember talking to a community member about mm. lockdown, and she said, "I've been in refugee camps. This is nothing." Mm. So I think, and I think for other people, <laughs> this was like for Australian-born people, maybe lockdown was, like, this mm. is a resilience-type mm. testing, character-building yeah. experience. Um, so I think, yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. I agree with you that because yeah. I was in that position, I from Kakomo refugee camp, and since I born, my country was civil war, killing one another, you know, and this was, like, nothing for me. 
I was thinking why people frustrated because I have more than that. <laughs> so I'm it was like easy. Boy. It was easy for me, really. And I was like saying, remember, powerful. And people, I was thinking, you have a house, you have a electricity, you have a money. Why are you thinking like this? You have to thank you for what you get it for. Because, you know, imagine back home, nothing like this, you know. No one help you. Only they shoot you. They kill you. No one, there's no treatment, no money, no electricity, no water. And, you know, I was in refugee camp. And there's nothing like in here. And I was like, you know, this is really easy compared to where I come from. So I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's, I guess it's different. And like, that's not to take away like different people, like experiencing different things. For some people, for example, children and other people was really hard. However, I think a lot of the people who come from like very difficult situation and like our refugee background, they found it really strange for like, you know, for example, for white men to talk about uh, uh, wearing a mask <laughs> while this is you're taking my freedom. And, and, you know, some people just found it very trivial. Like you're talking now, you want to talk about human rights, about a mask. <laughs> and it's, yeah. So it was, yeah, strange for a lot of, you know, my aunties making jokes about like all these white people, you know, being crybabies about, you know, like a few lockdown or like, you know, wearing a mask. Uh, I can really imagine that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It puts things into perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just to follow up on what Chut was saying, I think um, in terms of the mental health, I think breaking down some of those male tosca- uh, to- toxicity is really yeah. important because I think men quite often don't talk about their mental health. Mm. Um, so I think yeah, tearing down some of those kind yeah. of behavioural or, yeah, male toxicity yeah. is is a good thing because I think we all can be vulnerable and, and to yeah. talk about our mental health is really important. Um, yeah, definitely. I wholeheartedly agree with you, mm. Connor. It's one of the things that I had to battle with during the whole lockdown situation back in 2019 to 2020 was, you know, that I was fighting with myself to the fact that was I going to be weak if I reached out for help, you know, mm-hmm. as a man, because I'm in a situation where I don't live with parents, you know, I'm living on my own and having mm-hmm. to, you know, find my, my, my start in life and having to battle with, you know, how will this affect mm-hmm. my, you know, how will this affect people view me as like, you know, being a man, if I went out for help, like, will mm-hmm. they see me as weak mm-hmm. or, you know, will I be, uh, in a situation where I wouldn't be liked because yeah. now other people will know my weaknesses and now they will take advantage of me. And it was like the other voice that I had in my head of, you know, protecting myself and I think that's one of the biggest ones with mental health is distinguishing or even just getting rid of that voice altogether of yeah. not being a man if you reach for help. And I'm glad that, you know, I was able to push through that and find mm. the help that I needed because I don't think I'd be in this situation here currently or even just the opportunities that I've had this last year if it wasn't for myself to, you know, really reach out and just yeah. share my story. 
I, you know, happened to stumble upon Headspace. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the Headspace. biggest organizations that I, that's helped me a lot um, go through, you know, my mental health journey uh, and really just improve myself. Um, there's other services like uh, the Fitzroy Youth Centre. Uh, they have a lot of youth workers there that really provided that support with, you know, my home mm. situation and also my finances as well. Uh, and just also like my general well-being and being able to communicate with someone. Uh, I'm really proud of myself for that, for being able to, you know, have that strength to reach out to people and have build that connection. Coming together like the women's circle, you know, some women are just stuck at home with the babies, you know, coming together and doing those kind of activities, you know, helps their mental well-being and it's good, especially I know because I'm a mom, I used to be a mom, you know. You used to be a mom. No, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had kids. Anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, I had kids, you know, it's yeah. being a like, first time mom or, you know. Just staying home, you know, sucks, yeah. especially with your mental health, you it know. Does. I just want to add as well, is one of the things I've been trying to like advocate is connection, human connection and just interactions. Mm. We've had that lack of interactions yeah. on like a human level for mm. the last two years, nearly three years now. I really just want to reverse that now. Let's, let's end this on a, yes. I agree. Yeah, I think connection is really important, and it's actually one of the most important connection, like in component to building resilience. If you're not having meaningful connections with humans, like your resilience is likely to be low. You know, so they tell you to like, yeah, to get out there, connect with people, and I think we need to encourage people here in the community to just come to things. You know, you're, what what do you have to lose? You know. You come for one hour, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and if you don't like it, you can leave. Mm -hmm. No one's going to force yeah, exactly. you to stay, yeah. you know. Well, at least there's that opportunity. Yeah. You know, at least we have these out in place for people yeah. to, you know, slowly ease into it. Yeah. Now, there's, you know, a lot of people still have that social anxiety. Mm. Of course, you know, that would have developed during this whole mm -hmm. lockdown period of us being stuck at home. But now that we've officially open up hopefully this will be the last lockdown we are experienced hopefully now that we can really open up programs open events you know we could start doing the markets again like mm. we used to well, we've missed that like the um the, the lantern festivals yeah. yeah you know just also the i've missed festivals to be honest i'm a huge festival goer that's one thing i've missed during lockdown yeah like i'm just Thank you to my guests today, Marianne, Atut, Connor, Pfizer, Quinn, and our guests we heard on the Vox Pop, Fu. Thank you for sharing how you develop resilience and how you recover quickly from difficulties. I'm sure it'd be helpful to a lot of people. And once again, thank you for listening. Take care of yourself and others, and I'll see you in the next episode.